episode three of IntelliCast, brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. This is Adam Jolly. I'm joined by my co-host, Brian Lamar. Good afternoon, everybody. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. Today's topic really is we're going to cover a lot of, of service um, and what that means, um, what it's meant in the past where kind of the history of service will take us in the market research industry. And I think you'll be able to draw some parallels between service in any industry and, and how the market research industry goes. Um, just some quick housekeeping. Um, please, if you have any insight, if you have any suggestions, anything as far as a future rant, a future Mount Rushmore, a future topic you'd like us to cover, please email us at intellicast at emi-rs.com. Uh, also, feel free to follow and send us any notes at EMI underscore research on Twitter uh, and myself, Adam Jolly, on Twitter as well. Um, we got some great feedback from last week. It was great. Like, first of all, we had the audio working, which is a huge highlight, right? We did record it in a bathroom last week. Very nice. And um, a lot of just good talk about Adam Dietrich. I thought that was great. Uh, um, just like background, Adam's been here six years with the company, um, started, you know, basically out of college, pretty green and grown with the company. Like his subject matter expert is political polling. I just thought it was great to see how much he knew how, how, you know, I think a lot of times we get stuck in this industry talking about market research in general and not like all the other ramifications going beyond that political polling. How does the science translate from, from side to side? I thought it was great. Um, Basically, I know if I could talk to a pod or their podcast that's supposed to be about a particular industry with somebody on the street, I know that's a little bit more relatable. Yeah, I agree. I'm excited about the growth. We joked around that we hoped for dozens of listeners, and I think that we're approaching whatever the next level is. Is that a score? We're at now scores of listeners. Yeah. So I'm excited about the growth. Stones of listeners. I think it's, <laughs> right. yeah, that's what we're going for now. We could get like a combined wave of listeners. Uh, but thanks for joining us today. Again, we're going to talk a lot about service in the industry. Our guest this week will be Amy Carley of EMI Research Solutions. Amy leads up... Um, simply put our project management team, but it's delivery on a whole. Um, so I thought as we talk about service in the industry, what better person than have somebody who really leads our service department? Um, she manages hundreds of panel partners. She personally has managed thousands. I, I want to say she's probably over 6,000 studies that she's managed on her own, each one having multiple vendors in and working with clients on a day-to-day basis. So it'd be great to get her feedback on on where service has been, how it's been an integral part for us here, and just maybe where it's going, right? Was she the first EMI project manager, official project manager? <laughs> she was. Um, so she, I started in May of 07. She started in November of 06. So she started like when we first got in a building, basically yeah. like when it went from like when we graduated up from a side of a duplex type, um, because it was, I mean, and you still see this somewhere in the industry where like somebody, uh, a sample provider or some vendor does the bid for you. And then they're also your contact that gives you like, you know, right. sets you up in the system technology. They're doing the day-to-day contacts, that type thing. So um, she was the first, she was kind of like, let's be a big boy company. Let's bring on somebody that can do that. Well, why she's a guest, she seems rather important. She's pretty important. Uh, but she's going to be different than our other guest. So, like, you're when you were a guest on the, on the first episode, and it was a lot, you know, joking around. I think the four Ps got pretty into it. I'm just gonna, there are notes involved with Amy. We'll just leave it at that. A little more preparation than I or Adam Dietrich did. A little bit more prep. We're probably not going to do a Mount Rushmore on like rappers or football players. 
Um, it'll be a little bit more scientific. Mm, okay. Pretty excited. I doubt we go on like a food rant <laughs> with Amy, but I think it's still be pretty good. Uh, let's jump into our first segment. Brian, let's talk about research news and topics of the week. Yeah, to me, there's a couple of news topics, and they're kind of related. And one of them is a lot of rumors around SurveyMonkey having an IPO, which brings back the rumors of Qualtrics having an IPO, and also the news of Camtar TNS and Qualtrics kind of making a deal with programming on customer experience. And I think there's two noteworthy things here. Number one is IPOs and market research. We don't see a lot of them. We don't see a ton of money. Now, we've seen it grow a lot recently. Right. Um, Qualtrics has got a lot of private funding. Lucid has. Other companies have as well. But generally, in market research, we don't see a tons of tech and money and IPOs. Definitely, this is the first one in a long time. And the second one is kind of the evolution of DIY tools. So with Qualtrics and SurveyMonkey, these pretty big deals potentially with some really, I mean, Kantar is a giant, right? This is kind of like what's happening with DIY tools as well. That's kind of the, the big news, I think. Yeah, I think there's a couple points inside of there. I hit the first one really talking about the business and money of market research first. Now there hasn't been a lot of IPO behind that. I mean, you have... a. It's, in a, it's, it's interesting to me when we look at largest market research firms, you have Nielsen at the top, and then there is a gig, there's a big jump to Kantar, and Kantar is a huge company. I mean, I'll, I'll never get past a few years ago watching, uh, I want to say it was the Manny Pacquiao, uh, Floyd Mayweather, and seeing Martin Sorrell in like the fifth row. And so like I, I know they're huge companies, and I know they're huge business, but there, there's almost like this thought with market research that we are as much as we are a science we're also an art mm -hmm. and there should almost be some kind of and i could be completely off base here you can tell me if i'm wrong there's almost this like idea of we're doing something for the greater good it's like this goodwill i always get the feeling with market research and that you know we are making people's yes we're off it market research marketing research. We're figuring out how to sell things better. But at the same time, you're doing something, creating a product, a concept, add something that is helping people's lives get easier, right? That's kind of the innovation aspect is that whatever you're innovating and we're doing the research on that innovation is to help someone's life get easier. And so I always find there's always, it's never an easy talk to talk about business and money within market research because you almost feel like there's two different buckets. Hmm. You kind of talk on both sides of your mouth. Yes, we want to grow. But then as an industry, you know, if you look at the latest gold AMA gold 50, I think that the top 50 grew like a two to 3% under 2%. Yeah. Right. So in most industries, two to 3% growth is the industry that that's the standard five to seven good over seven. Great. As yeah. far as growth per or 10 plus. And then you can figure in like how long you've been in business. Um, I just, I did some Googling today, uh, opened up some old entrepreneur magazines. Uh, but I, I really feel like it's different in market research. Am I wrong there? I wish I could argue with you right now, but I agree with you. I think that this is going to hopefully drive a lot of innovation and will drive more growth. So if it's 2% growth in the industry, I hope this gets us up to five to 7% growth. When I think personally, when I think of companies like Ipsos, Nielsen, Kantar, I don't think of them as being innovative. I know that sometimes they are in the most innovative um, green book when they do their survey. But personally, I, I feel like Nielsen today is pretty much the same as they were 15 years ago. No offense to Nielsen. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping this really drives innovation and drives a lot of 
new techniques and new tools and um, more spending in our, in our in our industry. I agree, and that kind of I think the business business driven people really stand out in this industry. You know, like uh, people that it's like Patrick Comer is kind of a superstar in our industry. Yep. He's as, as, as close as we can come to a celebrity in Sable, right? Yeah. And he's also the person that started this company and, re- and started it in New Orleans. Yes, because he's from there, but also really started like a tech boom in that yeah. area and going out and getting the private equity and getting investors and getting you know the millions that he got last year. And like that stands out as different than, you know, and it, and it's a, it's a big splash when you see this capital, you know, venture capital getting involved with research now, venture capital getting involved with the SSI, the mergers that happen there, even before they merge together, you know, SSI merging with opinion outpost, Western Watts, all that type stuff, research now with, you know, from the e-rewards panel and, and those type things, even the Greenfield with, you know, Taluna and Chow and common knowledge, like those type things. Like those are huge splashes in our industry. And I think if in any other industry, they're not, I mean, they're, it's pebbles on a pond. Yep. Right. Um, I think that just drives it home more that you, the business side is never really talked about. I remember I saw it, um, Last year at the corporate researchers in um, Palm Beach, um, Jim Lane of Directions led a talk about following the money in the industry and really talking about like the investments and where the money is going in the industry. And to me, yes, that was so that was at a corporate researcher. So you had a lot of C-level that are at places, but that is it's like a refreshing break. From the, you know, how do we make our businesses better? And to make our businesses better, we have to make a better product. Too many times at market research conferences and what you hear in the speeches are, how do we make a better product so that we can? Like it leaves out that bridge. It's like that feature benefit for a salesperson. They talk about features of new products, features of new things, but no benefit what's in it for you. Yep. So you talk about last week, your big rant, business business to business sample, any kind of, there's no standard industry thing because we talk about, yes, this is bad. We need to make it better, but there's no, so that we can, yeah. you know? Yeah. I think that if, if you add more business into this industry, it would grow a lot more. And I think the fear that you do that is that you're going to hurt some kind of trust type that the industry has, right? Yep. If it becomes about the money, sneaky part, everything's about the money. Yeah, <laughs> but it because money becomes a more of a forefront, it's gonna take it's gonna add some kind of conflict of interest there. Yep. So I think this is nothing but good for our industry. This is hopefully going to bring um, new talent in our industry, right? Maybe people from other industries can come in and have different line of thinking. Hopefully, there's an arms race of some sort. This is going to drive competition, drive innovation. This is nothing but good, and hopefully, we all win, right? Oh, I agree. Uh, so the other point that you talked about was you know in- innovation into automation. Mm-hmm. These are two companies that have been at the forefront of automation, kind of a DIY type part, mainly, you know, starting off definitely in programming hosting, but, you know, the survey monkey taking over part of the market tools panel and as, and as a company, um, Qualtrics becoming more than just a programming platform, being able to do as much as the, basically an entire suite of basically a full service market research company. Now, um, how is that evolving more? What are your thoughts? Like, is this a, have we created where that is the future? 
or is this a sidetrack of the future and you can still have the traditional research? I think there's going to be both, but this is definitely growing rapidly. I was at an AME, AMA event this morning, and multiple people mentioned that, hey, I have a small budget. I don't have a big research team. I go to places like Zappy Store for my full research because I can do a concept test for $5,000. That's cheap. Right. right. There's going to be a lot of people out there that are going to these DIY tools like SurveyMonkey, Qualtrics, Zappy Store, Ask Your Target Market. There's a million of them out there. I think that's there's that's going to be nothing but growth. But I still think that the more traditional model is going to – it's not going to slow down because, because people – most people have had kind of siloed careers right. where you're an analyst, you are a questionnaire writer, you work in data processing. So a lot of the skills needed for full service, most people don't have. I mean, maybe that will evolve, but it's challenging for a lot of people, and we see this every day on our side of it. It's challenging for someone to be well-rounded on all aspects of research. There's a reason why Cantar and TNS had rooms if not hundreds of programmers and people that's all they did 40 hours a week now it's evolving to where we could do a survey the next 15 minutes but that doesn't mean it's the best design survey it's the ideal survey it's not written correctly it's not programmed correctly i'm with you it's a jack of all trades master and none right yeah so now more people are are comfortable with like real life situation i Sitting at my desk this morning, my wife got three quotes to redo our backsplash, right, in our kitchen. And to me, I see the quotes and I'm like, Jesus, what are we doing? What am I What am I doing to redo this tile? Because in the back of my head, I've watched Chip Gaines <laughs> cut tile for a hundred times in 30-second instruments – or any, you know, we watch you get DIY HDTV. You watch any type of, you know, you can change your own oil. You can all these things that you can do, and you, so you start to weigh in: Do I hire out someone to do something, or can I do it in house? I've seen it before. I can do it. I, I know yep. research. Yep. You're not going. No technology is going to throw a curveball enough at me yep. that I can't figure it out and still do this DIY. Yep. But does the advancement of some of this automation and DIY make market research? Which is really a really a knowledge driven comp- mm-hmm. driven industry. Does it make that knowledge more of a commodity? Let's play Stump Brian. No, right, no. <laughs> absolutely not. So right, okay, um, every single day in my world, I can improve questionnaire design. Okay. If I wanted to, I could spend forty hours a week doing that alone. And uh, we have a lot of clients that are writing their own surveys, and that's not their full time job. Um, is absolutely not a commodity. There is a there is an art and a science to every single aspect of market research, and it starts with the questionnaire design. It starts with the sample design. And if people think that's a commodity, then um, buyer beware, and the cream will rise to the top. All of the sayings, um, right? Garbage in, garbage out. I love the cream rises to the top. It reminds me of a very good Randy Macho Man Savage interview. Uh, but I digress. Um, I want, I I mentioned commodity because in the last five years, there's been that idea of sample being a commodity and some of the tools that are popping up with automation, you're able to automate the sampling as well. And I'm not, programmatic sampling is a huge umbrella to throw that underneath, but is something I'm wondering, does that make the sample industry more of a commodity? 
Well, it's our job at EMI. Part of our role, I think, in the industry is to convince people that sample is not a commodity. And tell right. people why and educate people. Just like... Is that everybody's job or just ours is like a differentiator away from everyone else? It's absolutely our job. Yeah. Okay. I don't know about others. But yeah, I think that yeah. that's the story we need to tell the industry is that sample's not a commodity, and we know this because of A, B, C, and D, and we'll probably get that, more into that later at future podcasts and blogs, et cetera. Um, but just like the programming companies, they need to do the same thing. They need to convince people that it is not a commodity, and there are strengths and weaknesses to each tool. And we know there are strengths and weaknesses to each of these DIY tools. We use them, many of them, every week. Um, but I think that's that's really our role in the industry is to teach people and educate them. I get that. Um, well, thanks, Brian. I, I think that's they're two big stories, and as much as they're they're not connected, they really are connected with kind of this trend in the industry of as we start to automate more and we we innovate to automation more. What do we do with what the automation is saving us? So, if the automation is saving us time, what do we do with the time? We talked about in the first episode, like things, I expect things to be a slowdown because the implementation of market research findings isn't speeding up any longer, even if the field work and analysis is, and then does it save us money? What do we do with the money? You know, or does the money then become like a business type tool? Do we reinvest that into something else in the business? Um, It's interesting to me about where things go. And I think it's, I, I encourage more business conversations. I say as a salesperson, I say every conversation is a business. It's not, but like more business conversations within market research firms and from market research firms to their clients too, about how they can progress as a industry, not just grow their own companies more. Good close. Thank you. Uh, Well, let's go jump into the research rant of the week. Brian, your time. Let's go. I only have one rant this week, and this is actually one you've heard before because we did a practice podcast, which someday when we're rich and famous, we'll release to the public, but this is going to be the same one. So this is, and this is very recent, it's salespeople on LinkedIn. Okay. So hopefully this doesn't um, hit you too close. All of them do. All okay. of your research rants come at me. I'm so right. let's go. Here's where it's differentiated. <laughs> I get, uh, hopefully other people out there get just tons of people, tons of requests. I'm inundated with requests on LinkedIn. I'm kind of a lion. I don't have it on my profile, but I'll accept about anybody. But then immediately I get I get the email saying how they can um, solve all my problems in the world and they can fix everything and they're the best in the world and they're the experts. But 95% of the time, they don't really understand my needs. Yeah. It's, 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 it appears to be some sort of boilerplate template. They haven't read my profile. They haven't, they clearly haven't researched our company. Um, that's my big rant. I'm just, it's just, it just gets really old and I still accept them. It's my own fault. I could control this. Right. I'm still accepting everybody that comes through my email inbox because I don't know, maybe I'm crazy thinking that somehow they'll improve my LinkedIn, but they don't. It just yeah. gets me aggravated. Uh, good rant. I think it's super fair. I get them all the time. Like, um, if you look over my LinkedIn, I obviously talk about how I'm in business development and hoping clients find things. And I still get a lot of people. Uh, today, I had someone ask me for like a lead generation thing. And that kind of makes sense. But mm-hmm. then someone else was asking me about um, our program and hosting. I'm like, 
I don't really program and host. I especially me. Right. You know, they can find other people at my company that program and host. Right. But don't go that far down the road with me. Right. And, from LinkedIn. And I think LinkedIn is such a LinkedIn as a sales tool could be used as a looking for guidance and reference point, which is kind of how I use it. Um, I hope someone's listening to this that I sent a LinkedIn request to because it will say it won't be boilerplate, but there will be evidences in there of me saying, looking for guidance. Is this something you do? I've looked at it. It makes sense because maybe we're connected to a lot of people, but is this really something you do? Any kind of guidance you give me will be great. Because I want it to be, that's how I act. That is my social media personality in general, right? Yeah. <laughs> is that it's a softer type world in there. Yeah. But to treat it just like you would a random email marketing campaign is sort of ridiculous. I get, I'm I, looking at producer Brian right now, uh, who is also our marketing person, not loving that knock on email marketing. I get, all, all the time, I get five, six paragraphs. Yeah. I'm not reading any of that. I mean, well, LinkedIn sounds, gives you a word count. That's the best part. part I, right? I didn't even know that, first yeah. of all. Um, but you, it sounds like the way that you approach it, and I think EMI approaches it, it's a little more personal, short, and kind of soft. Like, I truly think that rather trying to just help people, whereas other people are just trying to steal my money. That's how I look at it. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's something there. And I, I, it usually, too, it takes a long time to set up the non LinkedIn communication afterwards right so yeah. it's like let's do this let's keep and you talk on linkedin for a while where ideally you'd be like hey we met on linkedin should we take this offline should we talk should we meet should we email something right yeah yeah i'm with you well thanks brian good rant this week hey you're welcome anytime i appreciate it great thanks again for the research rant brian um it's time to bring on our guest um kind of going full circle here so we've talked about the new DIY and the automation tools and how they are impacting the industry. And one of the parts of that is service. So I wanted to bring on our service expert here at EMI, who's Amy Carley. Hi, Amy. How are you? Hi, Adam. Yeah. Thanks for having me. No, no problem. So Amy has been with EMI for over 11 years, right? You started November 06. Yeah. Jeez, gosh. Um, I looked up your stats today. Um, through our system, and you have managed over 6,400 jobs. That's a lot. I believe it, though. It's it's, it's pretty nuts when you it's think about it. a lot of years. Right? Um, but thanks for joining. Um, your title at EMI is Deliveries and Operations Manager. Mm-hmm. Yes. What does that kind of entail? So I oversee the team both here and our team overseas in terms of project management And I work a lot on the technology side of EMI, building our software, keeping us up to date, and just really anything process-oriented I help with. No, that's great. That's a lot. Um, You should have more adjectives in your title. Uh, Well, let's jump into the the quant quad. Um, So I don't know if you listen to the podcast or not. I do. Thank you. Um, but typically how this works is I have two questions for you. You have two questions for me. We'll rotate them. You don't know my questions. I don't know your questions. And, and hopefully we'll try to hash back and forth and see if we can come up with some solutions. Sound good? Sounds good. I'll go first. Um, so talking about service, how does service play a part in market research with the rise of these DIY and, and API type tools? I think it plays a really big role. Everyone wants service, whether you're 
doing it yourself or working directly with a project manager. And, you know, part of the service is advising when to use these tools and when to not. Um, EMI definitely does that. I think we know the details of the API and DIY tools and what target groups are available, what groups are going to be more responsive through those, um, and really how to maximize the sample, set a lot of subquotas, and you know also how to blend the resources so that everyone really gets a well-rounded sample. That makes sense to me. So I see how, how we're doing service, um, but I would think for us, when we're using those type of tools, it's typically how people that aren't using EMI, does the service only click in with those DIY type tools, with those automated type tools on, on two parts really, right? When you're setting up, like you get mm-hmm. good service on like some training probably, right. how to use the tool. And then when something's gone wrong, <laughs> right? Yeah. Is there any, there's not really a service part in between. Right? No, there's not. Like you said, it's really, you know, setting you up so you know how to use the tool. But then also if something is wrong, like your accounts are wrong and you need to invoice something right. or, yeah. you know, you're not getting any activity and you need a help link. Those are really the only times, but those are the most important times, and it can sometimes take longer at those times to get back to you. Oh, as I get you. Well. So that's what I've, I've kind of thought in the past. This this push towards DIY, um, a lot of like the bigger, I would call them like not uh, like the larger market research companies. Mm-hmm they maybe see this as like a threat. So like you see like a Zappy store as a threat, Qualtrics as a threat. Um, and they've kind of had this like attitude of we're, we're just waiting, waiting for the fail. So then we'll be there for you when you go. Yeah. Like they're like yeah. the, if you love someone, let it go. And if they come back, <laughs> then it's meant to be. But <laughs> I like, do, do you kind of see that as that's what like the service, like the more service driven benefits are, are really waiting for that with these DIY automation type tools? I think so. And, you know, I also think there's something you lose if sample is not your primary job function in just going straight to a tool and not having any other insight as to, you know, what you could target or, you know, what maybe you should be paying for your CPI to get a high quality, you know, well-rounded respondent. Um, And that's something that is not really included in a service package and a DIY tool unless you're, you know, working with a sample expert. I gotcha. Lay a question on me. Okay. So I'll stick with the DIY theme. So as a salesperson, how do you factor those options into your sample plan? Do you, you know, look up feasibility and trust it? And do you, how do you use those on a daily basis? Um, really twofold, um, DIY type tools. The main benefit that I see from them is that if you know the tool enough and you can, and you can use and kind of gauge how the tool will react and how the feasibility and pricing will go across multiple other panels. So like, you know, that a, um, like a scent access is, you know, typically what their feasibility is going to be, what they actually will, com- will commit to and what they're going to perform with and how that CPI com- compares to others. Then it is a great tool for like middle of the night launches, weekend launches, that type thing. Like you need traffic, you know, like, okay, if I bring on a lucid 
on a Saturday morning on Monday, I would have to bring on this, this, and this to really match and blend with what they have mm-hmm. and not compromise just because I was trying to get something in field on a Saturday. Right. That is probably the, the right way to use it with market research. And the other way, which may be not the most right way is use it for like a benchmarking rate card type system. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will, it's like a sanity check. I'll say, okay, I have this. I need to find out. I need it fast. I mean, it's it's Friday. I need Middle Eastern sample, and I know that it's their weekend already. I will go into one of these DIY type tools or look at an API, some kind of data, database that we have to try to get an idea about where I can go. Um, that doesn't necessarily lock me into that sample, but it gives me kind of just knowledge on what I need to go. And those are the two yeah. biggest parts for me, how I use them. Um, it, it's weird because it's how I sell and how a lot of other people sell in the industry. And we kind of got to this when we were talking with Lammy earlier was like knowledge is our biggest asset in this industry. And now technology has made this shift into that to cut away from the tech, from the knowledge. And you almost have to think about if I'm a salesperson, do I, can you sell on both? And I don't know if you're there yet because I think the clients are so differently. It's like, um, we talk about like disc wheel. It's like trying yeah. to sell to somebody on both sides of the disc wheel. It's the person who needs knowledge and needs expertise and needs like what you have. Your benefit is that you're, you have a solution greater than someone else. And it's like how you react to things. And then it's technology on the other side. It's somebody who needs things fast. It's someone that may be a little bit more price conscious. It's somebody that is really trusting you because of your ability to work that technology type thing. And there's just, there's not overlap yet, I don't think. And I, I agree with you. And I think that's why it's important that, you know, at EMI and everywhere we do embrace these technologies and these DIY tools, but we know it's not for everything. It's not for everyone but it is right in a lot of cases. So I see what you're saying. And as a project manager, I um, sometimes suggest when I think a DIY tool or some kind of other API could be helpful right? based on knowledge of the sample. And also if I see it on a sample plan where I think it's not <laughs> going oh, sure. to do that great, yeah. I say that as well. So I, I definitely hear what you're saying there. No, I hear it. Yeah. And that's, uh, that kind of leads me into my last question is like, based off of that, is technology helping or kind of hurting the value of market research suppliers? And what I come up, what, what I think about with that is because I think about this is both for full service and for, you know, fieldwork suppliers type thing. Um, there's been the word commodity has been thrown around more in the last four years than probably the last hundred years of market research. Not that it's been around for 100 years. <laughs> but do you think that with in introducing more technology, we've put that label on ourselves in some ways? No, I don't think. I could argue I could argue both sides of this. Okay. Um, but I, I really assume that the steps are being taken to have technology help. Help sure. us grow. Right help us provide better data and more data, more respondents. So I'll argue that, that it's helping. I agree. And it really comes down to, as we drove home in the first segment and I've talked about 
hundred times before. It's if we're using technology and automation to save some resource along the way, mm-hmm. whether that resource is overhead for cost, whether that resource is timing to get things, it's what we do with the resource now. You know, because you can't stockpile time. You can't, well, I guess you could stockpile money, but like it's not going to be good for the long term of the business by doing that. Yeah. And if it might allow to get a smaller job approved that otherwise would have been too expensive, but you might get a lot of good insights out of that to add yeah. on to a bigger job in the future. Um, so I think it's just important to. Remember, it's just, it's not the entire toolbox. It's just one tool. Yeah. And it can be really helpful. Or or bailiwick. (laughs) It's another besides toolbox. That's good. That's a good word. Thank you. Um, I I do. I I really embrace technology. I think at EMI, we're striving towards that. And just making sure that it's always used appropriately and with the right you know, guardrails in place. What's your last question for me? I'll go with what concerns you most about these kind of tech driven options. All right. Like you said, I'll go with like, you have a list of like 20. I have a few questions that I can ask, but I think that that is most pertinent. So, so what was your question again? I'm sorry. What concerns you most about tech driven options and sample? Uh, I think the tech-driven options concern me because of the lack of transparency of where respondents are coming from to the survey. Yes, I agree with that. It's um, I, Look, I'm not going to bang a drum that talks about like double opt-in sample is the best or that an email invite only sample is the best, but they're a lot more proven than a portal-type entry. Mm-hmm or a referral type entry or something like that. Um, I think that it's a fine line to walk between somebody that is a professional respondent and someone that knows how to answer questions in a survey, you know? And I think having the first time survey taker can skew results just as much as somebody who is sitting down on a session trying to make a dollar per survey and take as many surveys as they can. Um, So that's my major concern with that way. Uh, Amy, are you ready to have fun? Sure. Yay, she is. Uh, so let's go with the four piece part of the marketing mix. Uh, it's the same questions every week. Um, you said you listened to the podcast, so I'm sure you have your answers ready. Let's go first. P- first piece for present. What is the best birthday present you've ever received? Okay, so I'm going to go with my 29th birthday. I was 29 on the 29th my golden birthday and I got married the day before Hmm. so on my birthday we had another big party it was really fun I I don't think I actually got a present that day other than I had just gotten married and I was having another present dedicated to you for a birthday and also that day my sister brought home her puppy really that was the same day it was Jeez. A lot happened that day. That's why I just have to pick that. I can't imagine really ever topping that birthday. No, it's almost too much. It is. It was a lot. It's um, yeah. It starts to make me question some things. But um, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, moving to the next one, which is place. What place or day is like your ideal setting, your happiest place? Oh, um, I would say I love a good pool day. I love. I like to go to the pool. I like to swim. Spend time outside um, with my family. 
read a good book. All right. And good food. I like you did it. Too. Good, good. It always. It, I'm looking at producer Brian right now. He's not in his head. He knows food. that place always goes to food, oh. and then like we start talking about food. So let's go. Like, what's the perfect like poolside snack? What do you What oh. are you eating when you go to the pool? What do you pack in the bag or grab from the concession stand? Um, There's right answers. There's wrong answers. Well, I <laughs> I usually bring some cheese and crackers because my yeah. daughter eats that with me yeah. as well. Um, I don't know. We usually have a little bucket of some beer at the pool too. Oh, oh my gosh. Have some, oh my gosh. All right. No. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah. We just, okay. we're making a note now to put the explicit tag on it. <laughs> um, but I'm with you. Like to me, pool is all about um, liquid food. Um like beer and it's not like a good beer usually like i'm not drinking a lot of ipas or stouts when i'm sitting at the pool no, something lighter and a little yeah. fruitier than i would normally have probably. yeah i'm with you and that's what, like i always um to me i think about my best pool day i'll always remember this it was me and my wife were doing like a trip around the coast of south carolina we went to like savannah for a day folly beach for a day hilton head for a day and we went to the pool when we got we wound up getting a room at this Westin. We sat at the pool all day long and we drank um, Yuling, which at the time wasn't sold in Cincinnati. Right. So, like, it was the vacation beer. Right. And now, like, Yuling, I wouldn't put out a fire with Yuling. But, like, at the time, like, I was like, this is amazing. And uh, that was the day we found out that we were pregnant with our first boy. So, that's always when I think about it's pools. Nice. I think about beers. I think about Good pool day. baby Nolan and the amount of Yuling that I had that day. Who doesn't love a pool day? Come on. Uh, next P is purpose. Amy, um, so this is kind of like the acceptance speech study. So think about like you've, if someone, what got you to where you are today? What, who is the person that really drove you to become um, the successful person that we, you are today? Um, well, this is cliche, but really my family, my parents growing up, school was very important. You know, it always came first and along with school that included extracurricular activities too. Sure. Yeah. Um, and that was always really important in my family and I hope that I can set that standard for my children too. So definitely them and I also am blessed with a great family on my husband's side. So, you know, my in-laws and my sister-in-laws, they all, and my sister, they all really encourage me to be a better person every day. Oh, that's great. Uh, the last P is about person. So every week we do a, a Mount Rushmore question. Um, this is obviously the most impassionate Mount Rushmore that I've ever had because it is a secret of mine that well, it's not a secret to you, but it's a secret to everyone that would probably be listening to the podcast is that I am a huge Real Housewife fan. I'm a huge Bravo person. As am I. It, it's, I think it's the best show on TV and the reason why is because, like, it doesn't take a script writer. There isn't, like, years of development. It's just what crazy is, mm -hmm. right? And there are people that live these lives every day. So, Amy, what is your Mount Rushmore of Real Housewives? This is really difficult. And I think we will disagree on some of these, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so first, Kyle Richards. Uh, okay. Beverly Hills. Okay. Okay. I I really 
like Kyle a lot. She might. She's probably my favorite. Okay. I don't get it. Okay. Ramona Singer. <laughs> All right. Real Housewives of New York. I also like Ramona. And really, if you... I've read her book. No. She has She hasn't book. read it. She has a book, and it talks a lot about how she got where she is today. And she really worked her way up from, like, a buyer, a retail buyer job. And she has... A work life. Okay. Maybe not right. so much anymore, right. but she did. Okay. Don't respect her. Sure. What's next? Okay. Um, Teresa Judice, because <laughs> she is fascinating. I mean, she you cannot argue that she is not a fascinating person. She is a fascinating woman. I agree with that. There's so many aspects of it. Like, right. her hustle is crazy, right? Yeah. Like, she's made money not just off of, like, her disaster, but, like... The cookbooks, those type things. I mean, all the other... It's its ridiculous to me how well she's done from... I would argue that she's probably started from nothing a couple times. I agree. Right? Including right now. I mean, things aren't right. going great for her, but she has the show. She has another book, I think, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah talking about okay. the present time. Um, who's the last <laughs> person of the housewife? You're going to be mad. Okay. Vicki Gumbleson. Oh, God. <laughs> Why? Why? There are glaring <laughs> holes in your Mount Rushmore, by the way. I know. I didn't say anyone from Atlanta. Yeah. I knew that was going to upset The me. only city that matters. But I have to say, Vicky, again, business side, I would like to go to lunch with her and just have her tell me about her business and like how she started it, what she does, what she thinks uh, made her successful. Right. So... That's why I picked her. I knew you were going to disagree, but that's... No, because this is probably... You probably picked, like, the Mount Rushmore of, like, the um, the business fraternity in college would pick, right? <laughs> like, these are the most successful people that, if they weren't on the show anymore, would have something going on for them, right? Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe not Teresa. Maybe the most or, respectable people. Yeah, well, excluding, yeah, excluding Teresa, but she's just fascinating. But I agree, um... Kyle Richards comes from a successful family, and her husband is very successful oh, Mauricio, in real yeah. estate, too. Yeah. So, I, I, we know I a lot the about best, these people. I think he's the best catch of all the housewives' husbands. I agree. Uh, your list is trash, but uh, you'll get better. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. You'll get better. <laughs> uh, here's the obvious, Mount Rushmore. It, first, it's Bethany. Uh, I thought about her instead of Ramona, but I would rather... Like, go to lunch with Ramona. Oh, no way. Because then she would have a lunch afterwards talking about you. Um, Bethany is unbelievably successful. Um, her upbringing, like, I initially connected with Bethany. Her father was a horse trainer. My mm -hmm. father was a horse trainer. Um, and then, like, all the struggles she went through with her family and this divorce thing. I get I mean, it. That was my, my gateway into Housewives was her and Jason getting married. Um I'm so opining about those shows. Uh, next for me is Nini. Right. She is she is it. I'm you love me. so mad that you left her off your Mount Rushmore. I, I could only pick four. I've had entire text message conversations only of Mimi gifts. Of Nini gifts. Why did I say Mimi? I don't know. You know why? Because in my head I was thinking meme. Mm, and I had the no word meme in my head. Mimi gift. It is a Mimi. 
but I've had entire conversations about Nini just from text message. Third, I'd add Teresa Judice too. I think she's great. I need a representation from New Jersey. It was crazy. And the fourth one is the this is the most this is the worst. But I would put Andy Cohen as well, the fourth housewife. That's not fair. Huh. That's not fair. I, he's not a housewife. Um, he created it. He created this. He gave us this gift. Um, it would be like on it, it would be like on Thanksgiving, not giving thanks to anything out like to the, the pilgrims and the Indians. He has given us this gift. He's been on all the reunions. He's yeah. probably been on more reunions than half the people have been on episodes of the, of the regular season. That'd be interesting to count that up. Let's add it up. Um, Do you read his books? Yeah, we. I haven't, I haven't. I skim them. They're easy reads. They're easy reads. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a housewife tagline? No. Do you want one? I have a feeling you're going to say one. Regardless. I got one. I got one for you. I thought about this. Um, I'll do yours and then I'll do mine. And then um, this is great podcast is to do a visual joke with it. But just imagine me twirling with my hands on my hips when I'm saying this. So this is Amy. Like a which friend star you quiz on BuzzFeed, I always get clicks. It's a project manager joke. <laughs> okay, I get it. It's a project manager joke. It's good. It's pretty good. Um, my my house my housewife tagline, playing off my last name being Jolly, is "Tis the season to be me." That's good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. I can't wait. Um, Amy. Thank you so much for participating in the Mount Rushmore. I'm going to give you now your 30-second shot clock rant of the week. You can take as long as you want, but it's non-research related. What would you like to rant about today? Oh, gosh. Um, I'll keep this in the pop culture okay. bubble. Um, something we've been talking a lot about recently is, is Kylie Jenner really pregnant? <laughs> and there's just so much speculation around this. I do not think she was uh, her sister Kim's surrogate. I think that is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the consensus here in the office is that she is, in fact, pregnant. And she really just didn't want everyone up in her business the whole time. And that's why she's kind of been MIA, sneaking around in um, advertisements. She's covered in a blanket, things like that. Okay. I think it's okay that she wanted to stay silent. It's a personal decision. I agree. And I do think she's pregnant. And, yeah, that's all I have to rant about it. I don't think she's pregnant. I don't know what was the change ancient to make her think that this is personal and no one she shouldn't share it <laughs> That's true. out of everything else that has not been personal, including um, the evolution of her face. Well, a baby is different. Come on. True. A little bit. Um, Amy, what's your Super Bowl pick? Eagles or Patriots? Oh, gosh. I'm, I have to pick the Patriots. Yeah. But I, I kind of wish that the Eagles would win. It's just hard to, I don't know. I kind of wish that someone other than the Patriots was in the Super Bowl this year because I would like to watch, like, a different team. I get that. Succeed. But 
I'll go ahead and pick them. Cause you I pick the Patriots? Yeah, I do. Because you pick who wins. Amy knows football. Yeah. I do. I know. That is kind yeah. of a theme. Like, we've had numerous pools in the past, pick em type contests, betting against the spread. I Amy consistently win. wins. Yeah. Um, Amy knows football. I am going with the Patriots because I award excellence. I believe in excellence. I am from a capitalist country where you can have as much as you want. There should be no limits on the success that you have. And that's okay. why I picked the New England Patriots. Okay. Beautiful Tom Brady, his beautiful family, he is all a, of them. He does have a beautiful family. Thanks so much. Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, a couple closing moments. Uh, please join us for Quirks West next week's in Orange County. Um, I did hear word that Adam Deeker is still allowed to go despite not knowing that it was the second Quirks West, <laughs> what day it was, where it was, or if anyone, if he was speaking at the conference or not. So um, he still is allowed to go, which is great news. Um, also, SampleCon in Austin, Texas, February 7th through 9th. Please register ahead of time for the Great Sample Hunt, which is on February 7th uh, in the afternoon. I think it's around 4 o'clock, 4.30. Um, also, um, make sure to stick around on Thursday. I think at 11 o'clock I'm speaking. Um, come see me talk about B2B sample fraud. I'm trying to talk about the... B2B sample fraud practices, um, what others are seeing, how will we see this going in the future and possibly how we can try to fix this epidemic. Um, also, February 29th, 28th and 29th. February 29th? Leap year? Okay, we're just making updates now. Uh, Quirks East in Brooklyn. Um, see Clay Clayton there. Um, as always, thank you for listening. Please feel free to like, subscribe, rate, and share our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, any other way you can find podcasts. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you next week. Thanks so much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.